Welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. It's Jen, and I am so excited to be back. I know I always say I'm excited, but every single time I bring a new guest on, I am just so excited to have the conversations because how we are affected as highly sensitive, empathic people just can make it it impacts every single aspect of our life. So today I have this really special guest, Linda Polio. And Linda is a conscious doula an author of the multi-award-winning, best-selling visionary novel, Trusting the Currents. And the cover has a dragonfly on it, so I'm especially partial to it. (laughs) Linda has always been deeply committed to evaluating human consciousness. This life purpose has guided her as an accomplished New York advertising executive, as a thought leader in conscious business and communication practices, and as the world's first chief consciousness officer at a global futurist marketing consultancy. She is experienced in various spiritual disciplines, energetic practices, and healing modalities. As a consciousness doula, she helps people understand and connect to energetic frequencies that expand self-awareness for personal and global transformation. She believes we are all in the process of becoming something unexpected and that the answers lie in the heart. Couldn't have said it better myself, Linda. Linda recently moved from New York City to Sedona, Arizona, and she is an empath, a highly sensitive person, and an INFJ. I'm an ANFJ myself, by the way. Oh, good. Linda, welcome. I am so delighted you are here. Yay. Thank you so, so much. Before we jumped on, we were talking about one of the things your bio doesn't say, but is one of the reasons why I'm really excited to have this conversation with you is that a big part of your story is about being a caretaker and a caregiver, especially for your mom. And that was life changing. So I really want to like, I really do want to have that conversation. But before we go there, let's just talk about let's get a little bit of a backstory. Let's talk about what, you know, who you were, and how did you know you were an empath? And maybe like start at the beginning, what was childhood like? Well, I had a interesting childhood. Um, I was the oldest and the only girl. Um, I think from a very early age, I was pretty much more aware than anyone else around me. And I think my first memories of my childhood were, who are these people and what am I doing here? So I I was always very sensitive, not only to other people, but to plants and insects. And when I was a kid, I used to communicate to insects. And my father was an alcoholic. So that made me sort of the parental child to a large degree. Uh, I was always very sensitive. I always felt people. I always knew what everyone needed and was always able to sort of uh, make them feel better. 
And like I said, I was, it went beyond, uh, my empathy went beyond human. I would connect with insects. I was very connected to insects as a child and, and dragonflies particularly. That's why, the, that's one of the reasons why I saw my cover. I used to be able to call them to me and they would land on my fingers. So there was a real conscious connection to them and trees. And I was very connected to nature. So I think as an empath, uh, we really do we're really boundaryless. It's just a matter of where we decide our boundaries are. And a lot of those boundaries are for self-protection. And some of those boundaries are, are externally imposed. So we have to decide what is what. But, um, but yeah, I actually, you know, grew up sort of fairly aware of everything and, and fairly sensitive to everyone. I was very shy. I stuttered as a child. So between my shyness and my stuttering, I was a very internalized child, very, very creative as well. But, you know, out of that, I, I think that really began the foundation of my ability to communicate to others and to understand others. I've, I've always had an incredibly powerful ability to understand other people, um, regardless of their belief systems. And I think that's, you know, as an empath, that's really important. I think we are bridges between belief systems. So I, um, I, went through that childhood and went to school and got out of school and ended up in advertising. And I, uh, I was good in advertising because I think because of my empathic abilities, I was able to communicate to people on levels, more intimate levels than other people in my industry were. I would, I got in advertising with no experience in advertising. And I had a boyfriend at the time who told me you won't even get an interview, let alone a job because you have no experience. And my first job, I was a vice president. <laughs> so, wow. And I, and within six months, I was a senior vice president because I was very good at new business, not because I was so brilliant or, or knew so much about the industries that I was getting into, but my ability to empathically connect to other people and feel their humanity and understand where they came from became sort of my, sort of my hallmark. So yeah. that, that yeah. kind of got me through. Um, yeah most of my, you know, quote unquote career. You remind me of, I had a conversation many, many years ago with another very empathic woman who at a, for a period of time was in car sales and really made a ton of money. And what she said to me at the time was people, you just, you just like, like be their friend and people want to buy from you. And it's like, if you can make an emotional connection, you can make the sale. And I think you are really capturing that piece. But I want to actually jump backwards a little bit because, you know, you mentioned that your dad was an alcoholic. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I have heard some people who usually are, in my opinion, or, or, or in experience are not necessarily empaths themselves but who comment about that sort of what makes us empaths is trauma mm -hmm. or, you know, a childhood experience. My personal theory is that if that was the case, everybody on the planet would be a full-fledged empath. <laughs> and that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. And I was just thinking like you, you were the eldest of, of, you know, the eldest with brothers. And I'm like, were any of your brothers empaths growing up in the same environment? Or were you the only empath? I was the mockingbird egg. I was the mockingbird yeah. dropped into an egg. I was not like anyone else in my family. Um, they were all fairly, you know, conventional humans. 
Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so I call I them muggles. Muggles, yeah. I I didn't really, I didn't understand that no one that no one else really had the sensitivities I had for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I did learn uh, from a very young age not to tell people the things I was experiencing because they would think I was crazy. Like when I was yeah. in first grade, because I was communicating with insects and had such a sort of a connection to them, I remember going into a dollar store and buying these plastic bugs and putting them on my teacher's desk. And she called my mother <laughs> because I was trying to be, give her loving. something. Yeah. Loving. And she looked at it like your daughter is giving me fake bugs. So I think, <sighs> you know, I learned from an early age to kind of hide my abilities to a certain degree, just so that I could fit in with yeah. everyone. Yeah. Um, Where did, what region of the country did you grow up in? I was raised in New Jersey. In New and Jersey. It was, and it was very rural. My, the town that I was raised in was very woodsy and farmy. It's not anymore, but it was very woodsy and farmy. Yeah, so I, yeah. I spent a lot of time connecting with nature as a child because I felt way more connected to nature than I did in the human world. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I really, I just really love how even at a very, very early age, you were able to recognize that other people could not understand or did not have the same perspective and that you really needed to keep it under wraps. I also love how You know, I see so many empaths who are debilitated by their gifts or really like kind of, um, I'm trying to think of the word, but sort of like, like they're stopped by their gift in some Mm -hmm. ways that, that, and they don't. So as a result, like they don't get to shine in their career. And I love the fact that you just kind of slid into advertising and your gift allowed you to be fantastic at it. That's That's exactly what happened. I I don't think I would have, I mean, I stumbled through my twenties, not really knowing what to do. I I think we all stumble through our (laughs) twenties, not knowing what to do. (laughs) It wasn't until my early thirties that I went, Oh, maybe I'll try advertising, but I I just never had a career path. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, I still, to this day, it's not like I have plotted my way through my life. My life has sort of unfolded before me and I've more or less felt my way forward. Yes. Um, and yes. I think that's a lot of empaths do that. And I think I it's, agree. It's understanding and, and finally accepting it's I think the hardest part is accepting that it's actually a gift, even though when you're particularly when you're younger and you know, I think even even in your twenties as you're trying to fit in and and kind of plod your way through life, you you really want to fit in with everyone else and you don't want to have that. But as as you get older, you see that it's actually a gift and then you can start cultivating it and it becomes way more important to you. Absolutely. And well, I will say that I've really noticed a correlation between menopause and really giving zero Fs and that there is a point where like, it seems to me that a lot of like, there is a stabilization that really comes for us as empaths as we get older, if we've been doing our work, if we've never dealt with our trauma, then we're hot messes to the grave. But, but it really seems to me what I've seen is that the, the, you know, with each decade, there's a little bit more ease, there's a little bit more grace. And then you know, as we get to a certain point that, you know, for me, menopause was really a gift in that it really mm-hmm. took the the hormonal factor out of the equation, which had really 
could easily throw me off. I don't know if that was your experience as well. Well, it's funny. I just wrote a blog last week called called Becoming the Elder. It was really about me finally claiming my elderhood and how and that and that transition and what it's like to have, you know, go from being the sexy girl to being the elder and and the kind of the the, the freedom, the laws and the limitations that are part of it. And it's been an extraordinary experience and letting go of that has been great because I was that I got to experience all of that. And now I get to experience what this next stage of my life. And I don't think I've ever been in a more creative and productive time in my life, but, but I had to do the conscious work to get there. You know, I had to go through, you know, hell and high water to a certain degree. I don't think anyone gets through life without facing these things. It's just, if you face them, you get through them and you become this new and new kind of shiny thing. Um, and if you don't face them, you kind of get stuck and you get bitter and you get scared and then you can't move and you get paralyzed. So yes, um, being, you know, becoming the elder has been a process for me and mm. I'm, I feel like I'm really ready for it now. Mm. Mm. Well, and I, I mean, this is just our society and being female and the idea, the culture of youth and all of that, that, you know, and yet there's, I had recently heard a study that was saying that the happiest ages, or like mm-hmm. I think like the 60s and 70s are considered like the most productive, yeah. six, you know, like like some of the best period, like they really are the golden years for for humans because yes. we really, we're in, we are out of the child rearing, we're in a very different stage and we can really start to flourish and thrive. So it's it's instead of that kind of like clinging to our youth, what right. embracing our elder status or our cronehood is yeah. so powerful. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think we know ourselves. I think you know yes. if we could figure out ourselves when we're in our twenties, that would be even better. But the culture keeps us fairly well caught up in the currents of culture, so that we don't get to know ourselves. I mean, our inner universe is as expansive as our external universe, but our cultures and our conditionings don't allow us to really do that kind of deep work. And if we could get women, you know, in their twenties now and men in their twenties to start really doing the work themselves. And that's, you know, one of the things that I'm really committed to is helping younger generations begin to do the work earlier than, than I did so that they don't have to wait until their elders before they finally get it together. I mean, they really learn in their twenties and thirties and into their forties who who they truly are and what they really want and they can navigate their way through life with a you know way happier way of being. You said something that really bears repeating, which is is was, you know, just really acknowledging like if you face it, then this is you get to be the shiny new per you you get to become this new iteration of yourself. Mm-hmm. If you do not face it, you will be bitter. You will be stuck. You will be spinning your wheels and just like, you know, I don't know, like kind of trudging to the grave. Or blaming other people for everything. I mean, blaming other people for everything. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Totally. And I'm imagining, I mean, I know I wrote Empathic Mastery for the exact reasons that you are describing to give people tools at a much early age so that they get to live their lives. And I'm imagining that the book that, you know, that your book, is a similar thing that that that's yes. one of the reasons you wrote it. Well, I didn't expect to write a book. I wasn't. Yeah. I had no Do we plan. ever? 
I literally just started hearing a old black woman, Southern woman's voice, and she asked me to tell her story. It was channeled. I didn't have any, all the characters are African-American. I had no expectation of writing a book. So it took me two years to channel her and eight years to edit it. And it was in the editing that this, that it really became alive because I, I embedded an energetic frequency in the cadence of the words. So as people read it, it brings them into their heart. So the book helps you awaken to yourself. And that was, I would, if you had said I was going to write that book, I would have told you you were crazy. So it just, the book sort of happened to me, but, but again, I, I had to have the sensitivities to understand what mm-hmm. it was asking of me. Yeah. And I had to have the courage to step away from my normal life for a period of time and commit to it, not knowing what the outcome would be. And I think, you know, that's a big thing too, is being able to take that leap of faith without really knowing what the outcome is, is very important. Being able to take that leap of faith without knowing what the outcome is, oh, uh, you know, just from your, from your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> um, so I'm curious in terms of the timeline. Because you mentioned, you know, and, and we were we were sort of, you know, kind of circling around this conversation about caretaking. But I'm wondering, like, in what relationship or when did the book connect? Like, where does the book fall in your timeline and in, 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 in relation to caregiving and caretaking for your mother? Well, it actually gets, it's kind of bookended. Um, I took care of my father for a year, like 26 years ago. My father, I hadn't seen him in 17 years because mm. it ended not well. Um, yeah. so, As is known to do with alcoholics. Yeah, so, and that was really it. It was like he wasn't willing to give it up and we just sort of over a period of time, you know, kind of separated. So I hadn't seen him in 17 years, but I got a phone call from my uncle that my father had a massive heart attack and he was dying. And he was in Pennsylvania. This is when I was at in New York, and did I want to see him before he died? And at the time, I was immersed in learning healing modalities. I was doing Reiki and therapeutic touch and working with crystals and doing all that. So I was really entrenched in the healing arts. So um, my one brother was out in California. My other brother and I went, and he was unconscious. We got there, and I started doing energy work on him, and we stayed for a couple hours. We signed all the do not resuscitate orders, and just the, the feeling was just, let's get this over with, kind of. My uncle left, we left, I went back the next day and I went back every day, it was like a two hour drive. I I went back every day for about two weeks and did energy work on him. He came out of his coma and two weeks later he came out of the hospital and he said, I just want one year with you kids to make up for what happened. And so the last year of his life, he did not drink. I took care of him his last year of his life and he died literally almost to the day that um, he had told me that he wanted one more year. And so I w- he, he, everything got redeemed. You know, he got redeemed. Our family got redeemed. My mother and him connected before he died. So I really felt like I had really made a difference in not only our lives, but, you know, I truly believe because being an empath, I truly believe that everything we do and every recovery we make in this life, we actually aid our ancestors. We heal our ancestors when we heal ourselves. I agree completely. Yes. So I feel very strongly that it was a it was a multi-level healing. So about three days after my father died, I heard a voice say, go to Sedona. And I had heard about Sedona, but I had never been here. But like three weeks later, I was on a plane. I had nowhere to stay. I didn't know why I was going. And I ended up staying for five months. And that kind of 
real, I had all these mystical experiences that you hear about that happened here. So it sort of reawoke in my childhood and my empathic and sensitivities and my ability to connect to things that were sort of beyond the, the normal. And so when I went back to New York, I couldn't go back into advertising completely. I, that's when I started getting involved in conscious business practices. But then at one point during that period of time, as I'm working on a project, I heard a black Southern woman say, it's not what happened to me that matters. And I wrote that down, that sentence down. And that began, that became the first sentence of the book. And for the next two years, I channeled the book stream of consciousness. So I never knew where I was going until I was writing it. And I would Mm. just feel her presence. I would go back to my computer and we'd sew for two years and about a year into it, she said, go back to Sedona. So I went back to Sedona and I spent nine months here finishing channeling the book and nature plays a huge role in the book. So all the nature that's in the book or experiences that I had while I was channeling the book. So I get back to New York after channeling this for two years. I'm completely out of my mind because channeling makes you kind of crazy because you're going into another place. And I put the book away and said, I, I need to go back to my life. So I put the book away and I said, I'm done with it. And about a, a year later, I hear it tell me it's time to start editing. So as I started editing the process is when I started my mother. So mm. my mother fell. For, first, she had a stroke. I took care of her for two years. She got better. Then she fell and shattered her femur. And that began the nine years. So during the process of taking care of her, I was editing the book. Mm. And so I don't think, you know, for everything I went through at that time, I don't think the book would have actually come out if I hadn't been captive and hijacked by, by, by my mother's caregiving, because I was forced to be there. And at like two o'clock in the morning when I couldn't sleep because the day had been so awful, I would just get on my computer and I would just, even if it was four or five paragraphs, I would just do some editing. And so finally the book came out and um, I was still taking care of my mother. I didn't do anything with it for two years because I was so busy. Um, I just wanted to get it out. It was like giving birth to a baby. It was like enough already out of me. You're on your own. <laughs> so I got it out, but I entered awards and it, it started winning every award that I entered. So that was the only, I had no idea if the book was any good at that point because I didn't have anybody reading it. I didn't like nobody I knew believed I could write a book. No one would read it. And I think that's not uncommon for people that are writing books is that the people around them don't want to read them because they don't look at you as an author and they look at you as something different. So it was very isolating at the time and taking care of my mother was very isolating. So it all kind of, it's sort of a soup. Um, Yes. It's sort of a soup. And, but the book, you know, continued to go and and my mother, I was, you know, involved with my mother um, she needed 24 seven care for nine years. And that was another big pivot in my life. Wow. 24 seven care in nine years. And did you have any support? Did you have other people who were not who were- that much? Um, as anyone who's a caregiver can tell you, it's, it's something that if you are the primary caregiver, no one else can quite understand what you're going through. Right. Um, right. And even though they think they're helping you, usually they don't, mm-hmm, <laughs> or they don't mm-hmm. give you the kind of help you need. I mean, you go down into a rabbit hole and you, you're, you're down so deep, you don't have the ability to ask for help. What you right, need right. is not to say, hi, can you do something for me? What you need is for someone to come in the rabbit hole and say, I'm taking you to dinner. I'm going to clean the house. I'm going to do this for you. So 
you know, that was hard because I didn't really have that. I had two brothers who did the best they could under the circumstances with right. who they were. Right, um, right. And um, I went through a series of care after the first two years of doing it myself. And I thought I was going to die because it was insane. Um, I finally started working with a, a series of caregivers, but anyone in those caregivers, you know, I would, some of them stole, some of them just would disappear. Some of them, mm. you know, so, but then I finally found one great caregiver, but it was still a full-time job. It was still, right. I was on the phone or dealing with things eight hours a day. But, and so in the process, I, I lost, you know, everything I've been doing for a living. I lost mm. all the money I had accumulated over the years. Um, I lost my health. I got really, really sick because, you know, when you're going nonstop, even when you don't feel well, um, you have to keep going. So it mm -hmm. was very, it was the most difficult time of my life. And I, I seriously did not know whether I was going to survive it. And I think anyone yeah. who's really deep in the trenches of caregiving, they understand that feeling. But I want to, and particularly if you're an empath, because my mother suffered a lot. So yeah. I suffered a lot. I felt, yes. I literally felt her pain. And I, yes. was having, I was having reflective symptoms of, of her, mm. but I had to care for her. So it was, it was really, really hard. But I think I want to let people know that that are going through a caregiving experience and that will go through a caregiving experience, that it's very hard to imagine that it's going to end. And believe yes. me, after nine years, I thought my mother was immortal because she was pronounced dead like six times and she just kept that generation of women, they are tough cookies. They so. are tough cookies. I, my mother is still kicking. Oh my God. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, I just, I, I can, I, uh, I can think of so many examples of like these mothers, <laughs> you know, these they depression, are. depression era women who just will. And like, it's like they're cold, dead hands. They're yeah, not going to they, let go of life. They don't yeah. want to die. That, and No, they don't want to die. They're the terrified. They're, yeah. they're terrified of death. And I yeah. think, you know, and I, and I really thought maybe the reason, and I did this later, like later when my mother, you know, I mean, and I, and I wasn't always. I didn't always handle it right. You know, I did the best I could, but I was stressed out. But I really realized afterwards that I think, I think one of the reasons that, gener that generation of women have such a hard time letting go is I don't think they were ever really known. I don't mm. think anyone ever really knew them. Like no one yeah. saw them. Like, like yeah. my mother was my mother, but my mother was, my mother was the first female elected town clerk in New Jersey. Wow. And, and she made all of her clothes as a kid and the dream. Yeah. And she volunteered for this and that. And she was creative and beautiful. And she was way more accomplished than I was, but she was accomplished in that generation's perspective. And, you know, no one, I don't think they were able to really be who they actually were way down deep. And I think yeah. that loss of not being seen throughout their life I think there's a part of them that held on to see if anybody saw them, you know, because mm -hmm. by the time they're sick and by the time they're old, um, no one bothers to ask who they are anymore. Mm. And and I think that was, I, I kind of realized that very late in, in, in caring for my mother that, you know, I had to see her. And in fact, in fact, when I wrote her obituary, because my mother didn't want to even talk about death. So I couldn't do, I, I couldn't prepare for her death at all. So when she died, I had to get an obituary written like in an hour and I found some notes that I put together. And, you know, I really, 
put together the obituary that I think helped my mother be seen for the first time. It wasn't just about, you know, her family accomplishments. It was who she was as a woman and who she was as a human being that had her desires and dreams that got squashed by culture and by family and by and by limited expectations of her generation. I mean, my generation was the first generation that really got to be who they were. And, you know, we, we kind of stumbled through that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and, and so much of, um, so much of that sort of first, the first wave of, of feminism and the first wave of women actually like getting to make decisions for, for themselves. It's like, there's that interface between between the 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 like having the freedom and then the other side of the pressure to be pretty to be sexy to be young to be all these things and and so yeah i mean i think we're stumbling through this yeah i mean every I generation just, does that i mean every generation yeah. struggles through you know what the last generation brought in and what the next and, and what their generation is tr- is trying to accomplish and that's just being human and i, I think we need to be way more compassionate and way less judgmental because we're, you know, we're here for a flicker of an eye and it's kind of a wild ride. <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> it definitely is a wild ride. So I was thinking as where I was listening to you, I was thinking, you know, I'm wondering, you know, it's, it's the role of caretaker and the being sort of thrown or thrust into the situation where, you really are even wondering if you've got if you if you're going to have the strength to get through it. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if there is anything in hindsight, like if you were talking, you know, anybody who's listening in the audience, like what advice would you is there anything you'd do differently? Is there any advice that you can offer somebody that might like make it a little bit less of a dark night of the soul, a little bit less unbearable? Or a little bit less like where you're like, oh, my God, am I going to even survive this? Or is it just like it is what it is? Suck it up, buttercup. Well, it's sort of it's a little it's it's a lot of that because you because every situation is different. You know, every family's different. Every environment's different. Every person who's going through it is different. So there's a little bit of you are forced to push yourself into the unknown. Like I always talked about when I the blog I was telling you about early, earlier about making sense of suffering, I I basically talk about it feels like contraction when you're in it. It's so contracting, and you feel like you're you you feel like you're losing yourself, and all you hold on to is when this is over, I'm going to go back to who I was. Well, you're not because, and you're not contracting. You're actually your soul is expanding. Your soul is moving into unknown parts of you. So it is actually opening you up for who you will be when it's over. So number one, I'd say, remember, it will be over and you will be a different person. So hold on to that and and also give yourself some boundaries. I wish I had been more compassionate to my mother because I was so exhausted that I, I was just, I was doing so much getting the work done that too often I didn't pay attention to what, who, how she was feeling and just look at her face to face and say, mom, like, how are you? Like make that, make that connection human to human, not mother to daughter, because there's there's so much caught up in mother to daughter relationships. 
but to look at her human to human. And we did have that. We did have those moments. I wish, you know, I wish I had been less tired for one thing, but more conscious to take the time out to just slow down and okay, maybe I didn't get dinner ready on time, or maybe I didn't call the doctor right away, but I just would check in with both of us and say, I know, and maybe she can or can't respond to that, but I needed to know that I did that. Um, and then also self-care, you know, force myself to go out and have dinner, force myself to get a massage every once in a while, force myself to go and have a manicure. I didn't get a manicure for like eight years. It's like, what was the point? <laughs> you know, that's where you say, like, people offering help don't always know what to do. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that, you know, and when you're at that level of exhaustion, it's really, really hard to be able to say, what I need you to do is come in for the next two hours and keep an, you know, and, yes. and, and take care of my mom so that I can go get a nap or that I can go get a massage or I could go out to dinner. Um, and so it seems like it's kind of this sort of balance of like, how do we educate our support system mm -hmm. to help us? And also, how do we advocate for what it is we need? Well, that, I mean, I think that's a, this is, and, you know, as going forward, as boomers start hitting this, mm -hmm. the millennials are going to be dealing with oh, massive amounts of it. I mean, it is going to be, yes. it is going to be. I just got chills. I mean, it is going to be really, really it, about 10 years from now yep. when we hit the boom of the boomers. It is going to be really interesting yep. watching what happens. I've actually heard some really interesting stuff, too, in terms of just even how it's going to impact our economy. Yes, in everything. That all kinds of like investments that have been sort of like sitting and accumulating money that there's mm -hmm. going to be all kinds of investments coming out of the out of the market. And it's going to be I mean, I, I've been sort of feeling the wave of the the boomer peak. Yes. And what that's going to be like. And Wow. Well, <laughs> like, boomer, brace yourself, Betty. Yeah. Boomer energy. Boomers transform everything they touch. They mm. transform women's rights. They transformed race rights. They transformed technology. It was boomers that created technology. So boomers yes. transform everything they touch. It, we have transformative energy. So <sighs> the last thing that we're transforming is death. So yes. we're going to transform the way we die. Um, I'm very much involved with the dying well movement right now. And, oh. you know, how we die, the process of it, the the way the culture treats it. You know, right now, dying is die, aging and dying is sort of a last grab for profit and, you know, the ultimate failure of humans. And instead, it really <laughs> the ultimate failure of yeah, humans, as if we can escape it. Exactly. Yeah. So everyone's a failure who dies. But in the, meantime, I, well, in the whole <laughs> it's sort of this whole, I find it so ironic how so many people like somehow think that dying is a slap in the face. Like it's like this is like it's an insult, and it's like uh, no, it's the one thing that's inevitable. People. Yeah. Exactly. And we and so I think what boomers will do is we will, you know, there'll be more assisted suicide type things. There'll be more dying well movements. Death doulas are now becoming very, very big where, you know, helping people make the transition because it can be a very beautiful transition. Conscious death is a beautiful transition. Now, we don't know what's on the other side. We can have a million belief systems and maybe we die into whatever belief system we, we 
you know, we think, but we don't know that, but we could, we could walk people up to that moment in such a beautiful, loved way so that no matter what's on the other side, it's not this cold, hard in the hospital, you know, checking you off, get into the, you know, when my mother died, you know, most everyone she knew was dead, you know, so I wasn't going to have a funeral and funerals were like $15,000. So I just said, so I called a local funeral home and I, you know, made plans. I just, I said, I just want to have a viewing. No, nothing done to her. We want to see her as a family. We want to have her cremated. And then that's it. And we want to have a gigantic party. So all of our money went into having this gigantic party for all of our family and friends. We didn't go through the, you know, the pomp and circumstance of death. We allowed my mother and she looked beautiful when she passed anyway. So it was like, we just allowed it. I think as boomers get there, we will transform death in a way that will help future generations because it'll be, it'll be a part of the life cycle instead of, you know, you get to some age and then it's, you fall off of a cliff. Well, and I don't know if you're an astrology person, but, you know, the thing that I believe, like, I, I'm at the very, very, very end of the boomer cycle. And so I technically I'm a boomer, but some people would call me what, you know, in the Jones generation. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm in the Pluto in Virgo generation. But the boomers, the, the dominant boomers were all Pluto in Leo which mm-hmm. makes complete sense that you've got these Pluto and Leo like blowing everything up. They change everything they touch. Everything. So. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, you and, know, the- and with that big Leonian, like, look at me, look at me, look at me way. The individual, yeah. the individual. Yeah. It's about, I mean, that was the first time that the individual became important. Mm-hmm. It was until then mm-hmm. it was all about the community and you had to fit in and you, you couldn't and the and boomers brought in the idea of the individual and that's and that's the Leo. Yeah. The I. The I became important instead of the we. Yes. And now now we're swinging back to the we, but we're swinging back to the we. I mean if if you look at the chakra system, the 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 we originally was the the sacral, which is all about the lower consciousnesses and sex, fear, you know, community, you know, like just sort of mass consciousness, but mass unconsciousness. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the solar plexus is, is that beginning of the I it's mm-hmm. who am I, I, mm-hmm. and that was, and now we're moving back into the we, but we're moving into the heart. The so, heart. We're, yeah. so we're now coming back to we, but with a sense of who we are first before we, we just get together and we all think the same. It's, it's, it's like a, Instead of a herd, it's a herd of individuals coming together instead of a group of sameness. And yes, that's yes. what consumers are going to leave with is that ability to interconnect to each other as individuals. Um, you know, obviously not everyone's like this. And, and this is part of a, a trend. And every generation that comes in transforms the generation before them. And that's the way it should be. There's no mm-hmm. right or wrong. There is no good or bad generation. We're all, we all participate for the betterment and detriment. <laughs> of the planet yeah Yeah. so and it's again for me it's all about consciousness i mean are you are you doing everything you can to become more conscious of yourself because once you're conscious of yourself then you can become more conscious of the world around you and and how to operate through it Mm -hmm. well and as you're speaking about you know the difference between the we from the sacral chakra to the we in the heart chakra 
And it's like, we're talking about the difference between being sort of unawake and just kind of reactive versus Mm -hmm. I think the heart is about the responsiveness, but also that we are sovereign within ourselves, within the herd. And that there is a sovereignty that we hold that allows us to then be deliberately choosing to be part of the community and choosing to be part of the whole collective, as opposed to being sort of swept up in the current of the masses and losing our sense of self in the midst of all of it. Exactly. And allowing other people to have differences of opinion, allowing them to be individual. I don't have to be right to be for you to be like, you don't have to be wrong for me to be right. Mm. I can, we can both be right. We just come mm. from different perspectives. We just have to right. respect. And as long as we are are willing to compromise and know where our conflicts are and come at it as adults and not, you know, children throwing, you know, mud balls at each other. Yeah. We, we could have an amazing civilization here. And I, I think we're, you know, we are on the verge of that right now. We're at the yeah. end, the tail end of the mess. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I think we are. I mean, it feels to me like we're entering into hard labor as a species, giving birth mm-hmm. to this planet right now, and that yes. we've got some touch and go stuff. It's not going to be easy for a little no. while. It's going to no. be uncomfortable. But, you know, I channeled a book this summer, actually, oh. and a lot of the information that came through is just talking about the evolution of us as a species and where we're going and everything that you're talking about oh, is, okay, you know, great. very much reinforcing a lot of what, what, what came through. But it it strikes me that we need to make wrong, we need to blame, we need to get into this thing where we get into these mud fights when we're not solid in our own boundaries. Mm -hmm. And when we are solid in our own boundaries, then we have this amazing capacity to, to honor the fact that there can be differences. No, that no, that's exactly right. And actually, differences or make this planet so much fun. I mean, if we go when we die, we don't know where we go, but we're most likely going to be a lot more similar than we are different now. So we get to play in these bodies, you know, and we get to become um, almost like characters. And I get to experience a different way of life through meeting someone who has a totally different experience, life experience than me, and. Wherever you're born, that's your, that'll be your culture. That's what you've learned. So it's not like, and you're right. You're right for where you are. I'm right for where I am. And let's sort of, you know, as long as you're coming, I, my big thing is coming through the heart. I'm, I'm a big believer in, in the heart because if you are in your heart, you can accept and you can navigate any kind of conflict, any kind of intolerance with someone and you can work it out. If you're not in your heart, then it becomes very, very tricky. So, you know, for me, when it comes to, when I talk about consciousness a lot, I mean, consciousness to me is like sort of a big donkey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's like the, the head of the donkey and the leg of the donkey. And, you know, there's exo consciousness, there's galactic consciousness, there's earth consciousness, there's all kinds of consciousnesses. But, you know, when I like to pin my tail, I pin the tail on the heart because mm-hmm. no matter how much kind of consciousness there is, if it comes to the heart, it's a benefit to the human. Otherwise, I mean, there's a lot of technology that is all kinds of consciousness, but it's not to the benefit of the human. There's a lot of things that are out there that are not to the benefit of the human, but we are human and we need to take better care of our species than we have in the past. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, and I think that so much of so much of what we are up against is I believe that we are at about a 5,000 year can of trauma that we've been kicking down the road mm-hmm. for 5,000 years now. Mm-hmm. And that we are on the verge. And one of the things that when I was channeling, my counsel explained or said was that we've been in this sort of galactic retrograde as a planet, where we've been kind of moving backwards to understand and learn things. And we've mm-hmm. kind of been doing a lot of wrong things for a fairly long period of time. Because we've had these powerful lessons to learn, and now we are being given the opportunity, like we are as a, it's like we're kind of in the process of pivoting and moving out of this retrograde and moving into the right direction as a species and as a planet. And we, you know, and the journey is there. And I just, I also have continuously am being led back to the heart, guided to the heart, being mm-hmm. told that, I mean, all of the answers reside within the heart. Yes. I, yep. agree I feel that so completely. The heart is the yeah. entry point. It's not the heart itself. The heart is the entry point to whatever the portal is. It is the portal. The exactly. <laughs> it is the portal. I and, and like, I've been doing a ton of work, especially since COVID hit with the sacred heart. Mm-hmm. And I've come to understand the sacred heart as like the universal sacred heart of love that is the portal to everything else. Yep. And as long as we I move agree. out through the heart, we can go anywhere, do anything. It's like spectacular what is possible through the heart. Yeah. And unfortunately, most people's hearts are closed down because that's where the root of all of our trauma lies. Right. So we have to we have to allow people to go into the heart, give them the time to process the trauma, to let it to feel it, because most people have been repressing their trauma for their entire lives. They push down their feelings, push down their feelings, push down their feelings. They don't even know they're there anymore. No, so, don't even know they're there anymore. Well, so they have people to allow are... it to open up and and, yeah. and feel it and feel awful and hold space for them to feel awful and know that yeah. it's okay, not judge or shame them for feeling that way. And then they can get all that gook out of them. And mm-hmm. then they can learn to operate from the heart from a more meaningful way. But it's, you know, it's, it's a tough journey because they have, you have to go through it. You have to go through your trauma to, to be able to release it. And I mean, I'm a big believer in plant medicines for things like that, as long as it's done in a proper way, because it really can help you get to the root of things that um, they can help you, you know, see why you are miserable in your life. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Well, and you spoke about, you know, as we were talking before, even coming on to, onto this, this episode, you were speaking about how much of a transformational experience being your mother's caretaker was. And in many ways, it was the dark night of the soul for you. It was, it, it was, it was the dark night of the soul. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and it made you a completely wanted to share something as you were speaking about the pressure. Mm-hmm. I suddenly had this very strong vision of when you said it was, I wasn't being, I wasn't contracting, I was expanding. And I was like, Oh my God, the feeling of compression and the feeling of contraction is actually the sensation of our soul expanding in a container and pushing up against the boundaries of what has been holding it back. So it's not congestion or contraction. It's actually expansion Expansion. and feeling it. And I was like, Oh my God. So that was just amazing. Like I just... (laughs) 
a just completely new way of looking at it that was so exciting. And I think that helps people because, you know, when you're really going through a tough time, everything is very contracting and you feel like you're losing yourself and you are, but you're actually, you're actually growing into something new. And I think if you can hold on to that, um, and I, I was not always the best student here. I thought Mm -hmm. like, I liked who I was. I liked who I was before. I did not want to become someone. You had it sorted. You were like the you were like the the senior vice president of an advertising agency, and you were using your empathic gifts the way all, you know all of us wish we could. Like, I mean, no kidding. I I can't yeah, imagine I wanting to let want that to change, go. But like now, I realize how much more empathic I am, and not only am is is my are my abilities stronger, but I'm, I'm more able to manage them and I'm more able to have discernment and have my own boundaries and, and understand that it's a gift and that I, I wouldn't have been able to get there unless I had gone through this, but it Mm -hmm. also, I also had to make sure it didn't break me. And it was, I, it was close to breaking me, but Mm -hmm. I just, you know, I, I, I've always had that little bit of optimistic, faith in life my whole life. So even in the darkest moments, um, I found that when I surrendered to the darkest moments and didn't try to escape them, that's when a little bit of light come in. It's, you know, it's, it seems, doesn't seem right. It seems like when you're, when your things are coming at you, they don't like that you, you want to withdraw from them. Right. But, but really the power is in going right into them and yes. feeling fully and realizing what's happening. And, and then you just begin to kind of see yourself differently. And it was a long, I mean, obviously nine years I did this, it was a long process. It wasn't, it wasn't a weekend workshop. Mm -mm. (laughs) Mm -mm. It took took a while, but um, I think everything I'm going to be doing now and the rest of my life, I don't think I would have been in the same place if I hadn't gone through it. And I don't, I know if I was given a choice to go through it, even now I'd say, Hell no, I'm not doing that. Right. So right. the universe right. doesn't always give you a choice because it knows you would say no, but it also knows that it's giving you something that you're going to use for the rest of your life in ways that you couldn't have possibly imagined. And so I always tell people just no matter how miserable you are, hold on. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're going through an awakening of some sort and find people that understand that, whether it's a book, whether it's a workshop, whether it's a community. Um, whoever you have in your life um, that you can talk to, because it's not you. It's um, right. you're, you're you're having a spiritual awakening. Yes, yes. Well, and I I think that in our society right now, with sort of the I don't know, like almost like the the kind of pop culture concept of boundaries, mm-hmm. that there are there is a certain kind of like. I don't know, like if you're doing it the right way, you're not going to be experiencing discomfort. And even this whole thing of like, you get to decide what you're going to do. You get to decide you don't have to become a, you know, you don't have to become the, uh, like the, the, the victim or the slave of your mother's health thing. You can choose whether you do this or not. And I don't know, like, I'm just really hearing like you instinctively knew that even though this was going to really be lousy, and that it was really, you know, it sucked, that it was what you were supposed to be doing. Yeah, but it wasn't like, I don't want to make myself sound like I was some, you know, super aware, highly evolved human being at the time. 
you know, I had moments of that, but I also had moments of, you know, what am I doing here? My life is over. And, and I, and I think, you know, there's, you know, it's messy. Yeah. Life is, life is messy. And we, we have to allow the messiness because when we see someone else and we look at them and go, Oh, it seems like they got through it. Okay. Well, they probably didn't get through it. Okay. Mm -hmm. They got Mm -hmm. through it. That's the difference. They got through it and they were able to take what they went through and, and really, you know, engage it for the betterment of themselves and, 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 and not get broken by it. And I think that's the whole thing is, is getting, is getting broken by it. And you don't want to get broken by, by experiences like that. You want to be able to grow from them. And mm-hmm. you don't always know that you're going to grow from them. And right. you may feel like you're broken for a while. But it's, you know, it's not over till it's over. You know, it's that it's, you know, hell in the hallway thing. You just have to keep going, you know, if it's not okay. And, you know, that goes even up to death, you know, freedom. Like, you know, when I talk about making sense of suffering, I talk about, you know, some people, um, their freedom ends in death. I mean, that Mm -hmm. is a freedom when you're ill. That becomes a freedom. But at the end of suffering is always freedom. You always are free at after suffering and you, and you come out of it a more engaged and enlightened being. And you just have mm. to find that, find that person and, and realize that you have to, you're, you're then going to have to grow into the person you are because it took me a while to grow into the person that I am now following that experiences. I mean, I came out of there like a broken little chick. Mm. <laughs> mm. And how long did it take for you to, um, recoup or like reboot after um, like how much uh, let's see what time is it not uh-huh. long not long i mean not long ago have i come out of this i mean my mother okay. passed in august of 2018 by the time i got through with you know all the estate stuff and all that that's another nightmare just when you finally think it's over <sighs> you have to go through all kinds of other stuff so that was over in um uh, I finally got through that in like May of 2019 and wow. I literally yeah. got on a plane with my husband in July of 2019 and came to Sedona because I was, I'm coming to Sedona. I'm living in Sedona. Mm-hmm. So we came here for six weeks. I was on a marketing tour to get him to go because he didn't want to leave New York. Mm-hmm. We got back to New York at in end of September in 2019 and I started doing my um, I'm leaving. I'm going to go. I, I want to get out of New York and you're coming or you're not coming. I mean, I was just, I wanted to spend some time somewhere else. I had done enough. I had been in New York. I had done everything there. I had a wonderful life in New York, but I was at a point in my life. I didn't want that life anymore. I wanted something mm-hmm. simple. I wanted to be in nature. So just as we started, just as I got him to agree, we ended up giving away 90% of everything we own. Wow. We packed up four suitcases and ended up leaving New York just as the pandemic was coming in. Oh God! In March yeah. of 2020. So mm-hmm. we get here, and there's we're in the middle of the pandemic. We're we're, we're living in a casita for nine months because there was nowhere to live here. Mm-hmm. So, and I was coming off of literally not having stopped for 15 years. Right. So I was exhausted. So yeah. you know, now it's like two and a half years later, and I'm I'm really just finding myself again. And I think you, you have to realize that when you go through that, not only do you have to go through the physical 
needs of rest and what that means. You have to heal your body, but your but the energy, everything you've experienced has got a kind of process through your system, through your energetic systems. And you have to kind of get a sense of what knowledge and wisdom have you accumulated during that period of time. And like I said, it's, you know, it's not a weekend workshop. It's, you know, it's, it's not a, not a weekend workshop. I mean, no. these things help, I think, and they keep you sane, you know, during periods of time, like reading books and doing all this. It keeps it, it can help you, but it really is a matter of you um, just sort of going into it yourself. So I, I feel like it's only been very, very recently that I am feeling a sense of clarity that I haven't felt in years. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad that you're finding your way back. Me too. I cannot believe how fast the time has gone. We are coming to the top of the hour. And I Spirit keeps on telling me this one thing to share with people is that one of the things that I've learned in the journey with people's deaths is that be sure that you have the passwords. <laughs> that, yeah, <laughs> you know, be sure that you have the passwords that if you do not have people's um, login passwords, um, it gets really inconvenient with a lot of with everything that's online. So, you know, just another like, you know, one more thing. estate planning and one more thing, yes. a yeah. will, a power of attorney, yeah. and a healthcare proxy. Exactly. Yeah, make sure you have a will power of attorney, healthcare proxy, and a spreadsheet with all of the passwords on it so that you can access that information. It's a whole new thing. Linda, it has been such a delight and so just so delicious to have this conversation with you today. It's been so good. Um, So how do people get in touch with you? Um, Well, I... You can, my email is Linda, L-Y-N-N-D-A at Linda Polio, P-O-L-L-I-O.com. I have a website, um, which is primarily about my book. I'm, I'm in the process right now of really, re- again, like I am literally just kind of renegotiating myself again, which I'll probably be ready to do by the beginning of the year. So I'll have a new website and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing work as a consciousness doula. My whole goal in life at this point is to help um, people who are going through the awakening process understand what's happening to them and be able to navigate it, you know, maybe a little bit easier than I navigated it. So everything that I've learned along the way, I'll be, I'm putting together a workshop that'll be out early next year called Wisdom Keeping, which is all about navigating all the processes of awakening and, and what that means. My book, Trusting the Currents, is on Amazon and it's yes. a great read for anyone who's going through a lot of change and struggle in their lives because you know as she as Addie May who's the incredible Oh my god narrator, I kept hearing I kept hearing Ada in my head I was like I know her name begins with an Addie A and I was like a. it was Addie or Ada she Yeah uh, yeah I almost woman. asked I was like was she was she Ada or Addie so yeah, yeah amazing I can feel her yeah yep. she's so she's oh. and she helps you as you read her story, she tells you your story. So it's a really great book when you just want to read something that feels good to read and helps you kind of get into a little deeper within yourself. It's a good book to mm. read. Mm. Um, and, and, and I'm on all the social media. I have a blog on Medium. I'm on LinkedIn, which I have a blog on too. And I'm on Instagram and all the other all the things and and if if you guys are listening all of the links to linda's linda's amazing universe will be in the show notes so you can catch those there (laughs) and your book sounds so wonderful i'm like ooh, 
It just sounds delicious. I yeah. Um, and and just for for people as you're listening to this, this episode is be, is being recorded um, at the you know sort of in September of 2022. By the time that this airs, some of the things that Linda is talking about might actually exist. Oh, so okay. yeah. Yeah. Linda, thank you so much for joining me today. This yeah, has just thanks, been delicious. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it too. I'm, I'm really happy to help you reach out to other empaths because uh, we all need to kind of support each other. We do. Yeah. We, you know, it's like, it's all hands on deck right now. We're going to, yeah. if we're going to turn <laughs> the ship around, we need everybody doing the work and, and regulating our nervous systems and finding our way. So that's true. Thank you. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.